Well, good afternoon and welcome back to our sermon series, These Lunchtimes on the Lord's Prayer. Every year I see the doctor about a health condition I've had for years. I'm used to the questions the consultant will ask. Are you still on your medication? Yes. Have you still got your next blood test booked? Yes. And then comes the one I find hard to answer. I've got to do physiotherapy. And he asks me this. Are you keeping going with your exercises? The Lord's Prayer can sometimes work a bit like that. It can work as a checkup for our prayer life. We've been working through the version we get in Matthew 6 over the last few weeks. This, then, is how you should pray, says Jesus. And then he gives his disciples these words we know so well. Our Father, are you remembering who you're praying to? Hallowed be your name. Are you wanting God to be seen to be who he is? And we go through and eventually we get to verse 12, which we'll be looking at today. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Are you confessing your sin? And are you forgiving others? Well, sometimes. I suspect many of us confess our sin when we think we've done something we feel particularly guilty about, or when we're at church and the liturgy reminds us to. It's part of our Christian life in theory, but maybe not so often in practice. What I want to do today, and I think it's at least one reason why Jesus made sure these words got passed down to us, is to convince us that when we leave out confession from our prayers, we're actually missing out. The Lord's Prayer is part of what's often called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus kicked it off back in chapter 5 with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who know that they're debtors. And then just a few verses later, Blessed are the merciful. Forgiving and being forgiven aren't just a duty. They're meant to be a blessing to us. They're a gift that Jesus gives us to make us happy. Just like, actually, when my doctor asked me about my physio exercises, Jesus is talking about this confession because he cares about our spiritual health. So let's start with that first line, forgive us our debts. Why might that line get out of our prayers? Here's one possible reason. Do you ever find yourself thinking, well, I just can't remember what sins I've actually done recently? Well, I'm sure my colleagues could help me with that or my wife, but better still, I could ask Jesus. If you've got a Bible with you, then just flick back over the last couple of chapters. What Jesus calls sin in this Sermon on the Mount picks up way more than we, than I might like it to. For Jesus, you shall not murder doesn't go nearly far enough. Insulting someone is basically the same thing. It's the same for you shall not commit adultery. Lust is basically the same thing. So is neglecting the spouse you should be loving instead of lusting after someone else. I'll leave you to read the rest yourself. But here's how Jesus sums it up. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus doesn't limit sin to being whatever the thing is that first comes to mind when you hear that word. Our sin goes much deeper than we think. But I think there's another reason why we might not confess our sin. At the back of my mind, at the back of your mind, perhaps, do you ever have this nagging feeling that you don't really need to keep on and on confessing your sin again and again? Jesus has died for my sin once and for all. It's forgiven, done, it is finished. What's the point of asking for forgiveness all over again? And there's something in that. The Lord's Prayer starts, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is holy, he can't stand sin, and yet we can kick off our prayers by calling him dad. So no, we don't need to keep on asking for forgiveness. Our Father loves us absolutely unconditionally. But we need to remember that there's a difference between unconditional love and something like maybe a Pret Coffee subscription. It's true that they both keep on giving, but God isn't our barista in heaven, he's our Father in heaven. And that means relationship. 
Here's how relationships work when there's unconditional love involved. Every single day, until you get to meet Jesus, we all will stuff up again. And every time that happens, we can't just keep going and pretend that nothing happened. We can't just do what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden and hide from God and hope he'll ignore us and skip the awkward conversation about what just happened. When you have a relationship with someone and you stuff up and that relationship matters to you, you have to talk about it. If you care about that relationship, you'll hurt inside until you can talk about it. It's the same with us and God, except he loves us unconditionally. So God's already forgiven you. Your parents or your spouse might say that they love you unconditionally. They might even have vowed to do that. And they might even make a pretty good effort about it quite a lot of the time. But the only person you can be absolutely confident will love you unconditionally, despite whatever it is that you've done, is your father in heaven. He knew exactly what you were going to do before you even did it and sent his son to die for you anyway. So confession is God's gift to us. When we pray, we can't change what we've already done. There's no point trying to be someone we're not, someone who didn't do those things. But we can say, I'm sorry, that thing I did, that way I felt, that thing I didn't do, this person I've turned myself into, that was wrong. I am wrong. And we can remember that our Father in heaven has forgiven our debts. Look at verse 6. God's looking to reward us. He's not looking to send around the bailiffs. And then we can move on. We can walk through life with him and know that he knows absolutely everything that there is to know about us and that there's absolutely nothing we're trying to hide from him. Confession is God's gift to us because it means that we can be real with him. And when we pray, we get to enjoy that, make the most of it. But Jesus goes on, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And let me read what he says next. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I have to admit that's probably not what I would have said next if I were Jesus. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a moment. But first, let's think about what Jesus is saying here. He's expecting us to have forgiven our debtors. So who are they? Let's unpack that image of a debtor a bit. Now, for some of us in the 21st century, debt doesn't actually seem too bad. We might have a student loan or a mortgage, and it might just feel, to be honest, a bit like tax or rent. Our government spends billions every year on debt interest, but we're still able to spend even more than that responding to coronavirus. But that's not the kind of debt that I think Jesus had in mind. Jesus is talking about crippling debt, unpaid credit card bills, rent that's running late, a business that's gone bankrupt, having to deny yourself or your family things that you need, not just things that you want, because you have to pay that debt, struggling to plan for the future. But then imagine if you were in that kind of debt and a check arrived in the post. Imagine that it was all paid off. Imagine that you were free. That's an image of what Jesus has done for us. God gave us all sorts of good things to make good use of for him. He gave us this good world, but we trashed it. He gave us time, but we wasted it. He gave us gifts to use to fill this world with beauty, but we used them to make ourselves feel important and comfortable instead. He gave us himself to walk through life with, but we decided to take his stuff and find something or someone else to show us the way to go. We wasted it. And so quite rightly, we've got a debt to pay. But Jesus, but God has paid it off. And now he's saying that we should treat our debtors in exactly the same way. So who are they? Well, they're whoever we think owe us something because of whatever it is they've done. People maybe we've poured time or money into, but who we feel let us down and wasted it all. Here's what Jesus is expecting us to do. Treat them as if they owe us nothing. 
shoulder that cost ourselves, just like he did for us. I wonder who those people might be for you. Who are the people you think maybe need to do something or prove themselves to you before you'll, well, forgive them? They're the people whose debts Jesus is saying you need to cancel. Now, for some of that, for some of us, that might be incredibly difficult. Those people might have treated you terribly. Forgiving them will be far from easy. It might be something it'll take time to work through with a friend or maybe a counsellor. Whatever they did might not just be a thing of the past either. They might still be treating you in that way. Or there might be some really good reasons to expect that they'll continue to treat you that way in the future. So let me be clear about what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying that whatever it is other people have done to us is right. He's not saying that we need to somehow pretend that it was fine or that it never happened. He's also not saying that we shouldn't take steps to protect ourselves. Just a few moments before, Jesus had been talking about loving our enemies. Yes, we're to love them, but sometimes they will still be our enemies. Jesus' teaching here is that it's most challenging when people are our enemies through no fault of our own, and yet we have to find a way to treat them as enemies and yet also love them at the same time. Some of the most powerful stories of people who've stood out as Christians have come from situations like that. And when we do that, we're reflecting what Christ has done for us. He has forgiven our debts, just as we have forgiven our debtors. But why are those two phrases that way round? This is what I think makes this bit of the Lord's Prayer so difficult to read. Jesus is saying that we're to expect the same kind of forgiveness from God that we show to others. He won't let us separate our relationship with our Father in heaven from our relationships on earth. They're inextricably linked. Later on in Matthew, Jesus tells the story of a king who forgives one of his servants a huge debt, 10,000 bags of gold. You can read the whole story in chapter 18. But the servant who gets forgiven that debt then goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a mere 100 silver coins, tiny amount, and demands that he repays it. Here's what the king says when he finds out. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In short, if we truly appreciate just how much we've been forgiven by God, we'll inevitably forgive others. We Christians often have a strong sense of right and wrong, good and bad, black and white. Perhaps we talk about having high standards or valuing excellence, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. But it's easy to go from there to being judgmental, and from being judgmental to being unforgiving, to thinking that people who don't match up to our expectations owe us something. Confession is Jesus' remedy for that. Because it's when you confess your sin that you realise that you've got nothing to prove. It's when you confess your sin that you remind yourself that all the status, comfort and recognition you need comes from your Father in heaven, not because of what you've done, but despite what you've done. And if we are making a habit of being unforgiving, that's us, then Jesus doesn't mince his words. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It is possible that our habit of being unforgiving reveals something very unsettling about us. It's possible that the reason we don't forgive others is that actually we've never known what it's like to be forgiven ourselves, to be loved unconditionally, to have nothing to prove, and that we'll get to the end of our lives and find that God never was our Father in heaven, that he never had forgiven us simply because we never asked. Here's how Jesus ends his sermon in chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
It's not enough for us to listen to Jesus talking about forgiveness. We've got to put it into practice and forgive others. If we don't do that, it shows that maybe we've never known that forgiveness for ourselves, that our Christian faith is perhaps built on sand instead of the rock of Jesus. So where does that leave us? This, then, is how we should pray. Forgive us our debts. That's how we start out in the Christian life, and that's how we go on. And as we go on confessing our sin and asking for that forgiveness day by day, we'll find that we also have forgiven our debtors. Next time we, next time you go into your room, close the door and pray. Let's enjoy our forgiveness. Put aside the arrogance that refuses to forgive. And let's pray as Jesus taught us to. Amen.